Okay, good morning, everyone. Oh, good, oh, yeah, good morning. Okay, we are looking at Acts 19, and uh, I need help um, from kids. And uh, can I borrow a teddy, please? Can someone give me a teddy? And you cannot get it back until I finish the meeting. You are taking a big risk. Can I keep it until the end? Okay. Oh, Teddy. Oh, I said thank you. Yeah. We'll come to this one. Yeah. Kids, when I'm lifting this Teddy, you need to make some noise, okay? Oh. <laughs> Kids, I don't know. Who is that kids with mustache, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Acts 19. So I think Catherine and uh, some of them are going to come and read. Because this is an unusual passage. Um, you will see no apostolic preaching or teaching or anything. <laughs> Except a synopsis in between. So... What is it? It's like a fox or something, you know? So make some noise. Yeah, okay, so that's going to happen. So there was lots of noise coming in this one. And I need, a, a, I need Paul, as someone, maybe an adult, with the two or three guys here, please. An adult with the three, oh, three adults. Or adults with the two children or something, please. If you can come and stand, one adult is representing Paul. And uh, if you could come and stand here... Uh, Paul Hain. I think Paul Hain is uh, not bold enough, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Joe, can you come and uh, stop him also? You know, so there is a scene there. Uh, Paul is so... Oh, yeah. Come on. These are disciples, friends. Um, and when things are going to be chaotic, your effort is when Paul trying to preach to the crowd or trying to respond... You need to stop him. Okay, that's your task. How many, how many of you have been to a football or, or cricket match or some sort of game or rugby match? Okay. Can you imagine? It's a massive stadium. So this is what we are going to read is happening in a big place like this. And Paul and his friends in this specific place and there is something chaotic happening, so it's quite dramatic, lots of emotion. You need to feel it to understand what is actually happening. So let's read Acts chapter 19. Maybe you can read Catherine a little bit ahead, you know, so one, one or two words uh, before, you know, when Paul, um, where's that one, 20, or maybe from 21, please, yeah. Uh, you can start reading, yeah. After all, after all this had happened... Yeah, he's working. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. 
About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. Oh, you need to keep going, you know, yeah. The whole city, not just the 10 people, yeah. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd. Yeah, that's the Paul. Stop him, stop him. But the disciples would not let him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's too dramatic, you know. (laughs) Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front (laughs) and they shouted instructions to him. Come on, (laughs) come on Alex, come on Alex, tell him you are a Jew, tell him you are a Jew. That is two hours, okay? I'm going to do it two hours, you know. (laughs) He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. (laughs) But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. (laughs) Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell down from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess.'" 
If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come to your presence with great expectation. Unless you open our eyes, our hearing is dead. Unless you enable us to understand your word, it's become another preach. Lord, as we heard and encouraged through will today go, Lord, the destinies we caught through our everyday lives that is distracting us to look our eyes to you to be removed by the power of your word. Would you please come and fill us with eagerness, desire, concentration, and to receive with faith? We ask in your name, God, come and fill us, God. I pray for all age group to understand the power of your word. And your word is living and active. Thank you for doing that. We trust in your word, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as a church, you know, we include all age group in this, uh, uh, at the time of the worship, you know, so kids are also, you know, so allowed to be part of what we are learning. Um, you know, parents, you might do different methods, you know, so you can also go through step by step, or you can draw the picture of the big stadium or the arena, and you can specifically mention about what is actually key things are um, uh, going on, you know, so that's the way you can engage children through, and just believe and trust in God, God is going to speak to them. Amen? Because not the eloquence of the word or how much they understood. It's actually we are trusting in God. God is going to be at work. This is an unusual passage. And uh, there is other than one key specific uh, word. He says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. Other than that, there's no much stuff in terms of as a teaching or preaching there. But I was, as I was looking inside this passage, I was thinking, like, goodness me, this is a dynamite passage. It is so powerful. And I was thinking, like, why Luke included this passage in the book of Acts? He could have just eliminated it, you know, there is, Paul didn't say anything. There is no much solid, meaty stuff there. Just eliminate that one. So, could be the reason Luke wants to communicate something significant to the readers and to all of us. I'll try to do by step by step. At the same time, I jump here and there to communicate what actually going on. What is happening in the city? There is a Big issue in the city. The main reason for this chaos is an accusation against Paul and his companions. 
the accusation was they are Paul is targeting something very special to that culture or he's attacking the idol or something very precious to people in that city so in verse 26 you can see that 23 a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought into brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there I was thinking about the Indian context if you go to India there are temples everywhere there are 30 to 33 million god and goddesses in India and one of the key thing if you go to it into a place there is an unholy triangle exists in every culture or in every village or every city or even in every homes the ungodly triangle is is the temple and the politics and corruption they work together if you're trying to eliminate any of this one you can expect a retaliation you will feel it or even you can be killed so similar situation happening here business is going well things are going amazingly well then Demetrius noticed something the sale is going down people are not turning up or the temple income is going down and they can't see any other bigger temple there or something else coming and there is no shrine being placed by anyone but there are people changing people's attitude towards the shrines and ten temple through teaching that is the reason why Demetrius was really upset and it's quite interesting how he's bringing this subject into the arena so verse 26 as you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large number of people here in Ephesus in particularly the whole province of Asia he says that God made by human hands are no gods at all that's the only accusation specifically is not talking about Jesus there is not talking about salvation uh, or or you need to get repent or anything one specific thing he's mentioning this Paul is saying something that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name that's the main thing by the way <laughs> but also the temple of the great goodness artemis will be discredited and the goodness the goddess himself herself who will worship throughout the provisions of asia and the whole will be robbed of her divine majesty actually Demetrius is uh, demolishing 
or undermining the divinity of this goddess itself. So he's trying to say, what we are worshipping is, is fragile. We need to protect this God and this goddess for her sake, because if we are not supporting, what will, go, what will happen? Something will, bad will happen to all these shrines, and the goddess herself will be in danger, and her divine majesty will be in jeopardy. That itself shows how strong their trust, how wonderful this divine majesty among them. So that's the reason why he, he's bringing this big problem there. The main reason I'll see the business is affected. Or the foundation of the structural issue is the money flowing through this kind of a corrupt system that is going to be affected. And he's trying to use some sort of technique, you know, your food will be affected, your money will be affected, your security will be affected, your whole thing will be affected, our community will be affected. It's going to affect not only here, it has a huge impact in order to protect these, all these things, we need to protect the temple. In order to protect the temple, we need to stop this rubbish preaching from this guy called Paul saying, man-made gods are not gods at all. So worship is the key center of this conversation. They're worshiping something. In this conversation, we can see a craftsman there, and there is a crowd there, and there is confusion, and there is a clerk. So, and there are four C's are there, you know, so it's like craftsman, crowd, and confusion, and uh, there is a clerk there. In between, the emotional pressure from Paul to respond to this chaos, but thankfully, the wise friends stopped him. I'll come to that later. So, what's the craftsman saying? We already heard that one. Let's move to the crowd. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The order was in chaos. The system was in chaos. And the people seized uh, Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed to the theater together, you know. That's the time Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. And verse 32, you can see the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. It's quite, it's not an alien concept. It's quite self-evident among us what kind of society we are living now. We can't just say that one, oh, this happened years and years ago. It's really sad to see that one. But when you really look deeper, this is our society. This is our culture. When you touch an idol, Expect a retaliation. 
When you're trying to talk about something precious to you, expect a retaliation. That could be physical, that could be emotional, that could be different forms, or it could be cancel culture, or naming or shaming, or it could be anything, but how dare you touch my idol? Then there's a man coming up there. He is a clerk. In some, uh, some uh, translations say that he's a mayor of that city. He coming with a very, very strong, I love his speech. His speech was, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Earthomies and of her ima image, which fell from heaven. You're not confident enough in the identity of your God? You should be bold enough to know that. And he's trying to communicate with them and convince them we will come to that part later. So that's the place we will be going. The accusation was Paul was touching the idol. But in this passage, in you know, Paul, there is no kind of clear evidence he did anything. But in Acts 14, you can go and read with your children and by yourself, or uh, you can read that one, Acts 14. He mentioned, uh, or in, in Lystra, he was directly attacking uh, idols. In Acts 16, at Philippi, he was directly attacking uh, in uh, the idols, are very much part of his ministry there, you know, how he targeted them. In, but in significant chapter is Acts 17, you know, when he was preaching in Athens, uh, that's the time, the biggest, the grand preach, um, we can read that one. Feel free to read when you get time. But I'd like to touch Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. I'm going to read that again. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, that's his companions to come and join in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of, and, uh, full of, full of idols. Tim Keller put it this way, you know, so rather than I'm trying to recreate the definition of idol, I'm just using his word. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to, anything, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That's an idol. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't see any idols in England. There is no shrines there. There is no temples there. This is an alien concept. No, you carry idols, whether you like it or not. It will be visible everywhere. That's why sometimes when we are hearing the Word of God, unless we receive with the faith and grace, we feel the pressure to retaliate. 
the uncomfortable nature of the presence and the power of word of God, either that will save you because you don't want to follow that idol, or you might resist the word and his spirit prompting that can lead to disappointment and retaliation or it could be anything because idols are one sense nothing the other sense idols are violent so that means every gender has a set of idols every culture has a set of idols every class of people you know every class has a set of idols Every race has a set of idols. I work with uh, uh, refugees and asylum seekers through my work capacity, and I'm coming from a country with 1.2 billion people. I'm coming from a country with the highest number of uh, 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 the religions uh, in the world. I'm coming from a country with 135 main languages and more than 1,000 dialects. I'm coming with a curry. There is more than million curries from, a, from an India, from, from a country that has more than million curries. When somebody goes, I had a curry, I usually ask them, out of one million curries, which one you had? You know. It's so complicated. Oh, if you go to India, you might try to understand it most of the time in a temple, there's only one specific idol are allowed. This is quite controversial. If you bring another idol, there is conflict between them. So they use special uh, kind of uh, uh, pujas and everything to understand who works together. Otherwise, you will see the chaos in the city because there is a war between the ida, uh, 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 between these, uh, uh, these idols. You might think, oh, that's really sad to see that Indians gear up, read some books, get out and get saved, or be enlightened. I will see this is the same thing in a Western context, you know, when rich and poor comes, you can see the friction. The intellectual and unintellectual comes. It's really difficult to work together. The working class and middle class will struggle to work together. The rich and the poor trying to, trying to have that conflict. People with the money will struggle to work with the poor people. People on the margin, margin never been able to bring to the table. There is only one place in the universe. You can see that. That is the gospel breaking power of God that is the, that, that's, the, that's the church itself. That's the church of God. Every other places you can see that friction. You can see that friction. And not only that, there is an idol for, uh, I'm talking about Indian context, there is an idol for business. And I was thinking like, this is the same in Rome and in Greece, you know. So in Greek culture, idol for uh, fertility, idol for business, idol for beauty, idol for money, idol for uh, war, idol for creation. There are lots of idols out there. And each and every family has their own special god and goddesses. You don't bring two in the same place unless they are sure it is safe. 
I'm talking about real spiritual warfare stuff. It's visible in the community. You might say, oh, we don't see that in the West. It is everywhere. It's everywhere. The manifestation sometimes will be visible in a physical form. The other one will be manifested in spiritual, intellectual, relationship, cultural way. It is everywhere. Idols are everywhere. The challenge is for us, if you go around and touch each idol by telling this is an idol, this is an idol, your discernment idol ministry become an idol. That's the place when people take special ministries or gifts or talent as their success in their lives, then that's the place they find their security and identity and comfort. Like going back to Tim Keller's uh, uh, the, the definition, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. you know? So a ministry can be an idol. A doctrine can be an idol. A denomination can be an idol. Children can be an idol. Money can be an idol. Being a poor can be an idol. You find security or insecurity, safety or lack of safety. You find, to, you go to that place and you put yourself a label, this is me, when God says you are created in my image, my likeness, for my purpose. No, you say, no, this is my image, this is my likeness, this is the way I'm going to create myself. Then I'll feel safe and secure. Romans 1.16 is a brilliant verse. What's the solution for this one? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You cannot escape from this trap unless a greater power, greater authority, someone victorious who reigns and rules over all these things, come and rescue you from that place, otherwise you are dead. Thank God. That's the reason Jesus came down to this earth. Audience is really important. And that tension of your audience are also really important. And where you choose to communicate this truth, really, really important. When Jesus was uh, talking to the Jews in John 8, you know, he was talking about a lot of things, and that's a long chapter. Jesus replied, that's verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My the Father, whom you claim as your God, is one who glorifies me. Then, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. This is, there is dealing with an idol in the culture, you know, so it's a doctrinal idol, they're understanding idol. 
Their response was, you are not yet 50 years old. And they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? 50, verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stone to stone him. What did Jesus did? Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple ground. Jesus was saying, there is no point preaching to a chaotic mindset. You need attention. If you're trying to show off, you can just make some noise saying that I can, I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm doing this one. And you can just make some noise like this idol worship people. But Jesus was very selective. What he's going to say, when he's going to say, how he's going to say, the heart behind was somehow people will come come to the knowledge of the Word of God rather than trying to perform his doctrinal conviction. He just moved away from that one. In Acts 18, 9 to 10 and verse 32 to 34 also you can see that uh, Paul used the same thing. They used people's attention is so, so important. It's like a Word of God needs to fall into a right place to see the root and the fruit coming out. So how do you identify an idol? One is the word of God. Because this is the plumb line. Without knowing God's heart, you cannot identify the counterfeit. When somebody's trying to figure out what is the counterfeit currency, you don't go and learn all the million counterfeit currency. You spend more time to study what is the actual true currency. When you spend time more in that one, when something pops up, you can say, that, that's fake. That is fake. That is fake. You don't go and learn million fake things. You learn the truth. That is the Word of God. And within the Word of God, how do we know that one? So spending time in prayer is so important in terms of hearing God's Word and understanding relies on God's help rather than what is the book I read last week? It won't work. Which podcast I listen, which bullet I can use against the cultural strongholds. No, the, that's all things are good, but the first and foremost place to go back is word and prayer. I would like to encourage you. We have lots of things available there, but spend time in word and prayer. And third thing is wisdom. When to do, what to do, how to do is really, really important. That's the place the Holy Spirit will come and equip you how to challenge different things. And the last one is uh, discernment. It's really, really important. Paul was very, you know, so he discerned that one. And Jesus, in, uh, in Mark 2, verse 8, immediately Jesus aware of in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. You know, Jesus identified that one. How did he do that one? Through having the fellowship with God and knowing the will of God and ongoing fellowship with the Heavenly Father and through knowing, sensing in his spirit that being revealed through the Holy Spirit. 
That's really, really important. Sometimes in the Western context, we neglect all these kind of things, you know. If you are fighting against cultural strongholds, individual strongholds, whatever things are there, there will be retaliation. If you want to stand against the enemy scheme, you need to be firm in the Word of God, in prayer, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you will become another problem. Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for in Athens, he was greatly disturbed. I already distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. That's the audience. People are willing to listen, agree or disagree. The chaos might come later stage or it can lead to conversion or conviction, or chaos, and persecution. That comes later stage. But it's really, really important, whether it's in the Alpha, or it's in a cafe, in a family context, or in an audience context, it's really, really important to understand whether I have the space to communicate this very, very clearly. How do you expose the idol? Bringing light. That's the only way you can expose the light, uh, darkness. City on a hill. There's an alternative solution will be lifted in the city. This is one of the main challenges they've faced. Bringing truth to smash the counterfeit. We are facing a culture. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Romans 1. Worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Idols, idolatry is always the reason we do anything wrong. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, uh, you shall have no other God before me. That's the first one. Without breaking the first one, you cannot break the ninth one. The second one is, you shall make no idols. Why did you make the idol in the first place? Because you broke the first commandment. Because you have something greater. You are finding security and safety in something else. Exodus 23-24, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones in pieces. That's physically they are trying to, uh, asking them to do, not only physically, in the spiritual area also. Identifying the idols are so important to demolish them. As I'm preaching, this is my prayer, rather than thinking there are problems out there, there are lots of issues out there, let the Word of God come and reveal what are the idols we are living in our, in, in our lives, and we trust more than God. The gospel is not about everything is wrong. It is self-evident. <laughs> you don't have to tell people there is something wrong with the world. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> From the Garden of Eden, everywhere. But the gospel means good news. The grace of God and the power of God has given to us for our salvation. Hallelujah. That's the good news. That's the way you smash the counterfeit.
in a church context, we can have our gifts and talents as idols. Truth can be an idol. Our religious, our conviction, our doctrinal conviction can be an idol. And we walk around and smash people, and you think, you are here. This is my doctrinal conviction identity, and you are there. Rather than trusting in God, you use the doctrinal conviction to smash others, and you feel, I'm not that bad. I'm glad I'm part of a new frontier church. Hallelujah! That's your security. Rather than, I'm alive because Jesus died for my sin. And His Spirit is working in my life to understand the Word. The sanctifying work is the grace of God working in me so that I can walk in that humility. So I'm okay, I'm saved because of the righteousness of my belief or doctrinal conviction instead of I'm saved because of Jesus Christ died for me. I told you, idols are violent. And when you touch something, you can feel a reaction. That means you are insecure. Jesus was not like that. He knew he was the Son of God, and he knew why he came down. Even his friends left him away that never forced him to have doubt in his identity because he was fully convinced by the conviction from God, you are my beloved Son, and I'm well pleased. Let me finish. An idol can be family or children. Making money can be an idol. Money is a blessing, but making money can be an idol. Achievements, romantic relationship, skills, talents, physical beauty, six pack, six pack or no pack. You feel valued. You feel boosted. You feel something special. Not because the knowledge of, I am a child of God. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made in His image. I was lost. Now I'm found. My eternity now and forever is with God. Everything is a blessing. What a privilege I have to serve the God's kingdom. Now I have lots of little things. If things are going okay, I feel safe and secure. Children are studying. I feel safe and secure. These things are coming up. Yes, I am like a share market. But when your foundation is in God, you will enjoy all this blessing. You don't bow before the things, but to Him. Idols are nothing, but through them, the powers and principalities, the force of darkness controls us. 
That's the reason why, on one hand, the idols are nothing. On the other hand, they are unbelievably powerful and they are violent. Why? The word, the, the Lord of this world used this idol to control people so that they feel insecure and broken. It's quite self-evident, but God is bringing us back to a place, the only place you can find safety, security, meaning, purpose in your life through the Creator because He created you. That's why Jesus came down. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, He made a, spe a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. When the world, the flesh, and the devil, when the powers and the principalities unleash fury against the Son of God, in that chaos, He gave His life to save us. So that what He has done at the cross, what He has done at the cross, disarming and breaking the idolatry of our life can come and dwell in our lives. Why was the chaos in Athens? Paul told these people, you don't need to go to the temple. You can be a temple. Hallelujah. You don't need to buy the temple stuff. You can be the shrine of the living God. You don't need to go to a building you will become the moving glory of God because what Jesus has done on the cross so that you are not under the bondage of the culture. You are free to live forever. That's the place the business was affected. So that's the place. I was thinking like, who is actually bringing the chaos? It's actually the chaos brought by the idol worshippers, not Christians. They brought the chaos. They brought the abroad. That's why the clerk was saying, like, look, it's not the Christians. They are not the troublemakers. You are the troublemakers because you're violent. Your response is violent. But this world say, oh, Christians are the troublemakers. When you talk about homosexuality or same-sex marriage or killing the babies, unborn babies, when we talk about that one, they say we are troublemakers. But look outside. How much chaos is there? How long? The chaos is already there. But don't join that chaos. Live under the power of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 6. The band, if you want to come, feel free to come. We are going to worship God together. I love that passage this morning. I was reading that again and again. This is the good news. Because he has done it on the cross, 
through the Holy Spirit, we can walk in that freedom. There is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There is clearly written, for though we live in this world, we do not wage war at the, as the world does. The weapon we fight with are not the weapon of the world, but on contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Can you say that together? Divine power. A bit more loud. Divine power to demolish the strongholds. This will break it. Today, is a, there is a good news for you. If you're trying to break the idol, you're never going to win. If that was the case, Jesus didn't need to come down. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of what He has done at the cross, you can be a temple. You don't need to be under a temple. You, are, you can become the living shrine. And what are the things coming to your life, in your life, you can demolish that strongholds by the power of His Spirit. Let's pray. Let's stand and worship.